let's open now as we look at his holy word, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, we're just going to look at three verses today, we're going to look at the, the doctrine, the teaching of saving faith. By way of context, it's important we understand because I think sometimes we come to this chapter and we divorce it from what's preceded it and what follows after it and we kind of make it a one-off topical thing and that's appropriate and has a place in the life of the church. But it's important to remember that the author here, he, he loves these folks, he's a pastor, he's a preacher, he's preaching the truth because he, he longs for them to remain faithful. To, to not abandon the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, to not return once again to the old covenant, to the picture book of Moses, right? Had his place, served his purpose in its time, but now has given way to the reality, to the final word of God in these last days, which is through the Son. And he believes this to be the case, that these folks will continue. He writes in chapter 1039, We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. And then he's going to pick up with another exhortation, a very similar exhortation when you get to chapter 12. If you look there in chapter 12, very briefly, verse 1, you see this other exhortation where he says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So you have this, these two bookends, if you will, a little inclusio, a little sam literary sandwich where you have these two uh, exhortations but in between, he gives us this, this family portrait describing for us the nature and characteristics of saving faith. The faith that overcomes. The faith that doesn't shrink back. The faith that finally gets the victory. And he's going to give us the, the family portrait. He's going to take out the photo album, as it were, of the Old Testament and bring before us and bring before our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our ears the saints of old who persevered, who were righteous by faith, and lived in that faith and their trust in God. So let's pick up now, reading in chapter 11, verse 1. Having just exhorted them that we are not those who, who fall back, who shrink back, but those who preserve their souls. Now look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, antecedent being faith, for by faith the people of old received or gained their commendation. By faith we understand, that is perceive, that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen, that which is visible to our naked eye, was not made out of things that are visible. By the word, he created all things out of nothing. Ex nihilo, like it said in Latin, right? Out of nothing, he created everything that is, as it was alluded to before the reading of Genesis. So let's pray now and ask God's blessing on his holy word as it's expounded. Our Father and our God, we come before you as needy children, straining, as it were, our necks of faith to you, our Father, who delights to give us the kingdom. We, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children. If they ask for an egg, we don't give them a serpent or bread or stone. How much more will you give the Holy Spirit? You who are good, you who are our good, will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So would you give the Holy Spirit in this hour, in these few moments that we have together today? 
that I would decrease, that you, Lord Jesus, would increase, that you would equip your saints, encourage your saints, meet your saints where they are. And I pray for any amongst us who don't know Christ that today would be the day of salvation, that they would abandon all hope in themselves and look to Jesus, a willing and able Savior who will not cast out any who come to him by faith. We pray and we would ask this in the name of the Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our world, as you know, loves to talk about faith. It does. It talks a lot about faith. It talks a lot about hope. Faith, hope, and love. It talks a lot about these things all the time. But one of the ways that the world talks about love is, is not biblical, to say the least. In our culture, faith is defined as a feeling, as a, as a positive outlook on life, right? An optimism about how you can do it. If you just look within, you find the resources within, you find the strength within, you can do it. You just have to believe. You have to will it into being. You have to will it and speak it into existence. Some teachers, even in the church, would say such foolish and erroneous things. But when you dig a little bit into the worldview of those who espouse such a view, you, you, you begin to ask them, what is the object of your faith? You, seem, you soon find out that for most folks, the object pretty much is oneself. It's about becoming one's true self. In reality, it has no basis. It has no objectivity. It has no foundation. It's just a matter of looking within and conjuring up happy thoughts about oneself. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that's not biblical faith and that's not good news, right? There's nothing good within, right? Only the fool would trust in his own heart. Only the fool will look within to find answers, find a solution, to find a gospel for a troubled conscience, for a guilty conscience before a holy God. But you see, biblical faith is the exact opposite of this. It's not so much about a, a positive outlook. Now, it could give positive sentiment and feeling. This is true. It could be an inference from biblical faith. But it's not a positive, uh, not being a positive thinker. It's not about looking within, but looking without, looking to something, someone outside of oneself. In that sense, faith is not introspective. It's extrospective in that it looks out to another. Now, there's a place for examination in the worship of God. We do it every Lord's Day when we confess our sins, we hear the law, we review and we think and we reflect on, we think about how great a sinner I am. And then the minister, the elder, leads us to think about how great a Savior Jesus is. So we look within only to find the answer not within but without in Jesus Christ. Then our conscience is cleansed, right? We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, here in Hebrews 11, we see this extrospective faith. A faith that perseveres in life. A, a faith that hopes in things that are invisible. A faith that has conviction for things that are not seen. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's any less real. It's just not seen yet. Hence, by faith, we see that which is invisible. We see saints in chapter 11 who, by faith, persevered through all types of adversity. 
through all types of, of tragedy, through all types of persecution, through all types of difficulty. You see, just like the folks that he's writing to, they're those who overcome by their faith, and he wants them to take inventory as they look through the family portrait, the, the photo album of the saints of old. So this morning, let's look at the text under three simple headings. We're going to see faith defined, verse 1, faith commended, verse 2, and faith perceive what faith perceives verse 3 so 1 2 3 it's defined what it commends what it perceives so first what faith is or defined for us in verse 1 now i dare say that most of us probably have memorized hebrews 11:1 1. now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen Notice, first of all, that, that faith here is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Faith has an object. There are things that are hoped for and things that are not seen. And then notice what the preacher does. He, he wants to describe for us and give us not so much a definition, but he wants to describe for us how real biblical saving faith works. What are its characteristics? Well, first notice this, that, that faith takes place when things are hoped for, but are not yet fully possessed. In this sense, biblical faith, now listen, biblical faith has a future dimension. It has a future dimension. It sees the future as though it were present. Paul picks up on this reality as the future, as though it were present in Romans 8, 24 to 25. Listen to here how Paul describes this. Now, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is why Calvin can say, hope is nothing else but the constancy of faith. Hope is the constancy of faith. You see, that's exactly what he's describing for us here. So it has a future dimension. But notice also, secondly, it concerns itself with unseen realities. Notice what he says. It's conviction of things not yet seen, to things promised by God in his word, but have not yet been fulfilled in our Christian experience. Now this word translated here, assurance. You see that first word in verse 1? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. This is the Greek word, hypostasis. I typically don't cite Greek words for you, but it's so important, I think it's helpful to understand. It's hypostasis. The word carries with it three basic shades of meaning. First, it can be understood as assurance, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But first, I want you to understand that this word can be translated and is translated in the King James Version, in the New King James Version, as substance. It's used this way also in Hebrews 1.3. Remember what we said there in Hebrews 1.3? The sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That is, of his substance. He's of the same essence as the Father and the Holy Spirit. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. Philip Hughes says this, 
as it reflects on this understanding of faith as a substance. Faith lays hold of what is objectively promised and therefore hoped for as something real and solid, though as yet unseen. Saints, by faith we possess things, objective things, real things. We have an inheritance in heaven that's kept for us, undefiled, unperishable, even as we're kept for it. It's not that we don't believe in anything. No, it's a substance of things hoped for. We possess these things. Things that are hoped for, and we have a conviction. Now, this word conviction is a legal word, meaning we have evidence. We have proof of these things, of these things not seen. Now, let me give you an example. Just to take one example, there's going to be a whole litany, a whole portrait, whole family album of example of what I'm talking about. But think with me for a moment just about Abraham. God promised Abraham great and wonderful things. One of the things he promised Abraham is a land, the land of Canaan. But Abraham in his lifetime never owned any of the land. He lived and died as a pilgrim awaiting the fulfillment of those things, the substance of things hoped for, having a conviction of those things unseen. And yet we're told that Abraham possessed it by faith. Abraham's faith gave evidence to him of what he what was promised, but not yet seen. Beloved, faith makes real to the Christian things that are hoped for, but are not yet part of our Christian experience. That's why they're hoped for. Well, secondly, not only can hypostasis mean substance, it can also mean assurance, kind of having more of an, a, a subjective attitude, right? A, 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 a fruit of repent, a fruit of faith, right? As it's translated here in the ESV. Now, faith is the assurance or confidence of things hoped for. This definition primarily deals with what faith gives, what it produces, namely a assurance in things hoped for but not yet seen. The word is used this way in Hebrews 3.14. Remember what he said there? We share in Christ if indeed we hold our original, what? Confidence, our assurance firm to the end. Faith then is an attitude toward the various circumstances and difficulties and various trials in life. And we live in light of these trials, of these difficulties, with the assurance with the confidence that God is with us, that God is who he says he is, that his word is true, that we can face whatever comes our way. Let me give you an example here. I've been reading the Old Testament. I'm reading through the Bible, you know, my annual Bible reading. And I read in 2 Kings 6. You remember the story there with the servant of Elisha? He's fearing the horses and chariots of the Arameans. They're surrounding him and Elisha. And he cries out to Elisha, Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Elisha, in faith, having the substance of things hoped for, having the confidence, having the assurance of things hoped for, 
having the conviction of things not seen, responds, don't be afraid. What do you mean, don't be afraid? <laughs> they're real horses. They're real chariots, and they're real spears, and, and I'm a human being, and I'm mortal, and I can die. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Like, can you imagine the, the, the servant like, okay, there's, there's me, and there's you. Let's do this again. There's me, and there's you. But the mountain is full of the Arameans wanting to slay Elijah. And Elisha prayed. Notice his prayer. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. What? I thought we already saw. No, he didn't see. Faith sees that which is what? Invisible. Doesn't mean it's not there. It's just invisible to the to the naked eye, to the carnal eye, to the natural eye, to the fallen eye. But to the eyes of faith, oh, it's there. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So surely more are with us than are with him. By faith, we live as if things are different than they appear. You see, we walk and live by faith not by sight. We have a substance of things hoped for. We also have a confidence, a, an assurance of things hoped for. And then thirdly, there's a third shade of meaning in this word hypostasis. It's the, the word to guarantee. To guarantee. Hypostasis may be rendered a guarantee. So now faith is the guarantee of things hoped for, the proof of things not seen. Faith in this sense, now listen, is the title deed to things we do not yet possess but hope for. Faith not only renders those things hoped for as certain, it sees them as rightly belonging to us. Right? Just like this. Let me give you an example. Suppose you want to purchase some property. It's a good investment. You have concrete. It's always good to own concrete, to own earth. So you talk to your realtor and you got some land out in Cumberland County. You want to purchase some land. Now, perhaps you, you live in, let's just say you live in Des Moines, Iowa. You've never been to Cumberland County, Virginia. You don't know what it looks like. But you have a good friend who lives there and he tells you, you know what, there's some great land in Cumberland County. I think it would be a great investment for you. You know, future, maybe build a nice place to retire to or whatever. So you go on, on faith, you, you take the man's word Though you have never seen it, Cumberland County gives you a, a title deed that says now it's yours because you purchased it. But you haven't seen it. But you bought it on faith. Who does it belong to? Who does it belong to? Whose possession is it? Who has the title deed? Who has the assurance? Who has the substance? Who has the guarantee? Who does, church? We do. You do. Right? Right? It's the title deed that you have now. Things unseen but are not less real. Things that belong to us rightly, that are guaranteed to us. Rick Phillips says this, Faith is our guarantee that provides a foretaste of spiritual blessings 
that we will ultimately know in full. Now we know in part, just like we see in part today, right? We see dimly. We don't see 2020. There's nobody in this room, me being chief, who has 2020 spiritual vision. But we do see by faith that which is unseen. We have a confidence. We have an assurance. We have a guarantee. We have a substance of those things promised to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the three main ways to understand substance of things hoped for, a guarantee, assurance of things hoped for. So the question is, which one is correct? Which one should we roll with this morning? How about we roll with all three? Because I believe the author chose this word that is so expansive and expansive enough to cover all three meanings giving us a rich and expressive way to understand saving faith. To understand a faith that is preserved and a faith that perseveres through difficulty, who enters into every circumstance with an assurance, with a substance, and a guarantee that God is going to work everything out in my life, no matter what the circumstance around me are saying, God must work and will work everything in my life for my good and his eternal glory. You see that? Isn't that beautiful? That certainty, that assurance. Now it waxes and wanes, right? Sometimes it's strong, sometimes it's weak. But again, remember now, it's not so much faith that saves. We're going to see this in just a moment. But it's the object of faith that saves. You don't need great faith. You just need a little faith that believes you got a great Savior, Jesus Christ. You can say to that mountain, be thrown into the sea. You know what's going to happen? <laughs> that mountain is going to get up and run into the sea. You see, if you have faith, the faith of a mustard seed, because the object of your faith is God and His Holy Word. And if you think back about all the individuals in Hebrews 11... We see all three of these aspects in the work of those listed. So faith is not a feeling. It's not just an experience or a positive attitude. Rather, it's a deep, personal, living trust in God and His Word in the face of great peril, great adversity, great difficulty. You're going to take God because God said it, therefore I believe it. That's all you need. Well, secondly, notice what faith commends. Verse 2. Church, how do you please God? How do you please God? We're told in chapter 11, verse 6. Look there. Look down. We didn't read it this morning, but I'm going to read it to you. We're told in chapter 11, verse 6. Notice what it says here. This is germane to our Sunday school class, isn't it, Daniel? We'll talk about that after, after the sermon. Without faith. Now listen. It's impossible to what? To please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he, God, exists and that he is a rewarder or rewards those who seek him. So without biblical faith, that is having the assurance, having the substance, having the guarantee of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, it's impossible What's it say? It's impossible to please God. You can't please God apart from faith. If you want to please the living God, you must have faith. 
And that's exactly how the saints in the family album of old pleased them. Look at verse 2. Notice what it says here. The people of old, the word here is presbyter, presbytery, gained their commendation or, or gained God's approval. How? By faith. Having the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Right? That's how they pleased God. In Hebrews 11, we have this recorded history of ordinary sinners saved by grace through faith by an extraordinary God. In each and every individual, the one thing that brought God's commendation was what? They were good looking. They were smarter than anyone else. Taller? No. They had faith. By faith, they gained God's approval. So how are you going to gain God's approval this morning? By believing God's word. By taking God at its face value. God said it, therefore believe it. That settles it. He commends those who have faith. We all want to please, please the Lord. Listen to 2 Chronicles 16, 19. I got to 2 Chronicles as well this week. I love this verse. Here's what God is looking for. For the eyes of the living God, the Lord Yahweh, move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. A heart that says, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to hold fast with assurance, with confidence, with the guarantee of those things hoped for. Things I cannot see but are no less real because you said so. Oh, beloved, this will carry you through the dark valley. This will win the victory in your life. This will win the day. So if you want to please God with the few years, days that you have remaining, ask God to grant you faith. Thirdly and lastly, faith's defined, the character of the nature. Thirdly, faith is perceived or faith perceives. Verse 3. Now, the preacher wanting to encourage these saints about the forward-looking focus of faith, notice where he begins, right? He's going to bring out this whole litany of individuals about how all of them looked forward in faith to the promise that was to come. But notice what he does. He takes us back to the beginning, reminding us that the visible word, or world rather, was created by God's invisible word. Notice verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created. That is, knit together, fashioned like an artist by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of what or the things that are visible. Now today, the most popular explanation to the origin of the universe is known as the Big Bang Theory. Right? Just, there was this explosion millions upon millions of years ago, and something came out of nothing. That begs the question, what caused the Big Bang? You see, for the materialist, the Big Bang theory has taken on godlike characteristics that rule out any possibility of a creator. But for the Christian, the answer lies not in theories, not in speculation. Where does the answer lie? It relies in trust in God's revelation. 
God's revelation in creation, the general revelation of God testifies to a creator. We see God's fingerprints over all that he's made, over the material world. Psalm 19, 1-4, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. I've never had a cloud speak to me. No sound is heard from them yet. Yet their voice goes into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. His fingerprints are all over the the glass, all over the the window, as it were, like the kids. It's just everywhere. See, the problem is not a, a, a lack of evidence. If I only had more evidence, that's not the question. Church, everything's evidence. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything testifies to the Creator. Everything says there is a God, a Creator God. Listen to Paul in Romans 1.19 to 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. And what has He shown them? For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, Paul says, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are what? Now, they're without excuse. Everything's evidence. You have no excuse for your rejection, for your rebellion, for your suppression of the truth and unrighteousness. Every tree is calling you to repent and trust Jesus Christ. Every animal that roams the earth is calling you to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. All of it is bearing witness to the glory of the living God. But not only in creation, the Christian understands rightly that the universe was created by the Word of God, God's special revelation, so that what is seen was made, was not made out of things that are visible. You see, for the Christian, the Word of God is our objective, the very object, object rather, of our faith. Saving faith is not blind trust, it's not a leap in the dark, nor is it wishful thinking. We believe the Word of God because it was the Word that created all things. It's this Word that now, Hebrews tells us, sustains and upholds the very universe. Holds molecules together by the Word of His power. So you want to grow in faith? Faith comes by hearing. Right? We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why the writer to the Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is living and active. It's by the light of the word, faith says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, that's faith. That's just the first part. One to three. But I have three things I just want to think with you out loud with. Three implications. First, faith is how we receive the blessings of salvation. Faith is how we receive the blessings of salvation. So if Jesus in heaven... And we're here, how do we receive the blessings of Jesus? Those blessings, those benefits that he secured for us 2,000 years ago in time and space in Jerusalem on a hill outside the city called Calvary. How do we receive them? How do we get them? How do we receive the blessing 
of the resurrection? How do we lay hold of the benefits? Listen to Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 11 of Justification. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, now listen, is the alone instrument of justification. You see, faith that has the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, is the alone instrument by which we access all those benefits. We access peace with God through faith. Listen to Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified how? By works? No. By faith, through the instrumentation of faith, we take hold of Jesus Christ. Faith is the hand that takes hold of Christ and all the benefits that Christ has secured then become ours. Faith is not just merely an intellectual assent to the word. It acts upon it. It sees and values the eternal, the the unseen. Secondly, the second implication Faith is what will sustain us through the various difficulties of life. Faith is what's going to carry you through the difficulties of life. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Why? Because faith is the assurance, the substance, the guarantee of things hoped for. And what is hoped for most of all? Jesus that the Lord is with me, he's going to carry me, I shall not want, that he's going to be with me, he's never going to forsake me, he's never going to leave me. It's through faith that you're going to get through those difficulties. You remember Paul, Paul's waiting for execution in a Roman prison, and he writes to his young apprentice Timothy, and he says this in 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, And bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's faith. But he's going to die, Pastor Bullock, in just a a couple months. He's going to have his head removed from his torso. How is that possible? Because God is even going to use sin sinlessly to bring Paul, his child, into his heavenly reward, into the heavenly kingdom. Just like he's going to bring you into his heavenly kingdom. Because he's faithful and just. Because he who began the good work in you is going to bring you all the way home. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you. You're not going to sin your way out of his hand. His love is greater. His grace is greater. Where our sins abound, his mercy is more. He's going to win the day. And he won the day with Paul. That's where Paul derived his strength. It came through faith in Christ and his word. This is the way it it carried John Bunyan. You know, Bunyan was told not to preach. He was an outsider, outside the visible church, right? He had the option, shut up, live quietly at home, don't preach, be no problems. But if you preach, we're going to throw you in prison. He could not keep silent. He was like Jeremiah. God's word was like fire in his belly. So he was in prison. And early on in his imprisonment, He prayed, Lord, now now wouldn't it be more profitable if I were freed? Wouldn't it serve the greater purpose of the kingdom of God if I were outside the confines of imprisonment? Yet, Lord, not what I will, but your will be done. And you know what God did? 
God gave Bunyan the grace. God gave Bunyan the, the assurance of things hoped for, the, the substance of things hoped for, the guarantee of things hoped for, the conviction, the proof, the evidence of things not seen, that for the next 12 years, Bunyan stayed in prison. But you know what Bunyan did while he was in prison? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And outside the Bible, that's the, the best-selling book of all time. The fruit of that suffering, those 12 years of imprisonment, is Pilgrim's Progress, which so many of us as Christians hold so dear and love. It was the fruit of suffering. You see, beloved, it's only through faith in God's promises do the, the saints of God overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then thirdly and lastly, faith commends us to God and makes us useful in His kingdom. Right? Faith is what gained their approval. The saints of old, verse 2. And all those folks listed in Hebrews 11 are there not because they were sinless. Right? You can look at those names and you go, nope, not sinless. <laughs> Clearly not sinless. But because by faith they serve the Lord. J.C. Ryle in his book, Holiness reflects on the saints of God. He reflects on Wesley, Whitfield, McShane, and many others. And Ryle said that to a man, what made them great was their faith. Now some might say, Ryle says, it was prayer, to which Ryle replies, why did they pray so much? Simply because they had faith. And what is prayer but faith speaking to God? That's all faith is. It's just speaking to God, your Father. Others might say it was their diligence, to which Ryle replies, What is Christian diligence but faith at work? Faith is the root of real Christian character. Let your root be right and your fruit will abound. Your spiritual progress will always be according to your faith. You see, if you want to grow in grace, you have to grow in faith. A faith that savingly unites us to Christ. A faith that gains the victory. A faith that commends us to God. And I leave you with this. 1 John 5, 4 through 5, as we think about faith getting the victory. Here's the victory. Here's where you become more than a conqueror through him who loved you and gave himself for you. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? That's how we overcome. That's how we shut the mouths of lions. That's how we stare down the, uh, uh, the materialists, the, the secularists, the, the LGBT, whoever under the sun. We can stand like Bold as lions because we stand by faith in Jesus Christ. Having assurance, having the substance, having the guarantee of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And remember again, it's not so much how big your faith is, but rather the object of your faith. If you have a little faith, a little faith in a big God goes a long way. That's why the disciples in Luke 17, 5 said this to Jesus. Jesus, increase our faith. Let's pray that this week. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray and we would ask with the disciples who are anything but sinless, who are not very talented in a worldly calculus way. They were ordinary. 
but you are extraordinary. And you take a small faith and you bless it and you use us. Oh, Lord, there is none like you. We praise you. We thank you. We do pray that you would continue to increase our faith. Use the word that we've heard preached this day. Bless us as we partake of the bread and the wine to strengthen our faith, to seal the word that we've heard preached and read, to seal it to our hearts, to enable us by faith to be more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.